played football really for my family. I wanted to quit when I was 12. My father told me never quit something you start. So he said, hey, at the end of the season, you want to quit? You can, but you can't quit during the season. Obviously, I didn't quit after that season. And football is a very difficult sport to play. It hurts every single day and every single way. But I knew that this was going to change my family's dynamic. It was going to get my family out of Compton, out of the hood. It was going to give them a self-esteem that they never had because everyone was working jobs, not careers. Uh, No one designed their life exactly like they wanted it. And I had an opportunity to do that. Welcome to Ballers with Babies. I'm Mark Willard. Today, we know so much about what athletes and sports personalities do, but not so much about who they are, what makes them tick. What's life like the moment the stadiums and TV cameras go dark? Most go home to their families. We want to know what that after-hours experience is like. Ballers with Babies explores their upbringing, their home life, how it's affected by their high-profile job, and how that high-profile job is affected by the home life. On Ballers with Babies, we talk to some of the most interesting names in sports and find out how they're even more interesting than we realize. And don't worry, diehard fan, we'll get to the important sports questions as well. This is your favorite people like you've never heard them before. I hope you enjoy. All right, let's get Marcellus Wiley in on the Ballers with Babies podcast. You, of course, know him as a uh, longtime star pass rusher and now, my gosh, like a media mogul, but... Uh, I also know him as a guy with an actual college degree from Columbia. How, how come you never did anything with that, man? I mean, I'm trying <laughs> to make it up as I go, brother. I mean, I got the thing on the shelf, and it stares at me, and it's like, use me. I'm a good degree, but so far, I'm stuck talking sports, brother. <laughs> I know, just dumbing it down with the rest of us. Unbelievable. All right, um, so I know that uh, – Kind of an interesting situation uh, as far as parenthood for you. You've got two kids, and the age gap is wide. So what what are the names and ages of your two kids? Yeah, I have a daughter, 18, Maraca, who's a UConn running track. And then I got a two-and-a-half-year-old, uh, Marcellus Jr., who is running the house. So <laughs> that's, my, <laughs> that's my life right now, man. Uh, uh, I had a kid when I was a third, fourth year player in the NFL. Uh, it's been a tremendous blessing, but it's, it's come with its own challenges, being distant from her, um, not seeing her day to day. But uh, I'm trying my best to make up for it, plus some with my son right now. What's what's their relationship like, by the way, your daughter and your son? Yeah, it's it's better than I expected. I mean, I'm talking about a two and a half year old. Right. <laughs> rather see, yeah, he he rather see Mickey Mouse than his mother or father. So uh, we know where we fit in. But uh, all things considered, he, he asks about his sister from time to time. He loves to FaceTime her, uh, and his sister just truly adores him because uh, it's just a little reflection of her family and me and. Uh, he, he's a fun one to be around, man. As most boys are into everything they see, he's an active one. So it's been great so far. By the way, what went into your decision to hand down your name to him? Wow. It's interesting when I, you know, finding out the importance and significance of my name, Marcellus, uh, my mother got it from Cassius Marcellus Clay. So, 
Muhammad Ali's middle name. Uh, she said she saw it one time in a movie and in the credits and was like, that's an amazing name. I want that for my son. And uh, it, it, it's unique, you know, running to a Marcellus every single day. Um, and it, it, it really exudes a lot of power. Um, I felt a tremendous responsibility just to have a name like that, that I had to go out there and do something special. And uh, my little man, it's my first son. I kind of just wanted to keep that responsibility and that power uh, in the family and see what he wants to make of it. So that was the reason. That's interesting. I didn't even know that. I, I did not know that that's where you got or you're where your mom got the name Marcellus. Yeah, man. And it's crazy because now I'm really close with the Ali family. Uh, Layla Ali's a good friend and her, her husband, Curtis Conway, I helped, he helped raise me basically played football at the same Pop Warner growing up and it's like my big brother that I never had so it's crazy that it comes full circle like that now I'm a part of that family alright so you've only had uh, the boy part here for a couple of years but uh, what are the differences so far between raising a daughter and a son oh uh, I think that in terms of challenges and Whatever trouble they get in, generally speaking, you're going to get a lot more challenges from the boy early compared to the girl. Uh, my daughter's mild manner. Uh, she wants to stay between the lines, uh, and she she kind of got it. My son is trying to expand and toe the line, if not cross it, every single time he can. Uh, his favorite phrases are, stop it. That's mine, and he, he, he really respects authority, but challenges authority. He's a sweet kid at school, but he is a mobster at home. Like he is just running the town when it comes home. So I think that, and it's funny because with a daughter, the teenage years, you can start to fill them up and change a little in, in terms of their personality, the hormones, etc. Whereas the boys, the boys start kind of they turn into themselves and they kind of get a little more mild mannered, a little more too cool for school. So I just think that it's just different trajectories. The woman younger is going to be chill and then it's going to really hit different teenage on and the opposite for a boy. Um, you know, I'm wondering, and, and this is over the long haul for you, like where does and where did, fatherhood fit into all of this you know pro athletes by nature you guys have no choice but to be selfish and most media people i know are are pretty married to their work certainly you are you're 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 you know grinder workaholic multiple gigs every day so where and how does family fit into all of this yeah for me uh the reason i even became an athlete was really because of my family um it was the responsibility i had to use my talents, and I knew I had two talents. I was an athlete, and I knew I was good in school. So I really had to balance those two and prioritize my school because I knew that would give me the longevity beyond my playing days, even if I made it or not. So I, I was no guarantee, obviously, to go pro, but I certainly knew that I could get a great education, and that would give me a lifelong opportunity to take care of my family. So uh, I played football really for my family. I wanted to quit when I was 12. My father told me never quit something you start. 
So he said, hey, at the end of the season, you want to quit? You can, but you can't quit during the season. Obviously, I didn't quit after that season. And football is a very difficult sport to play. It hurts every single day and every single way. But I knew that this was going to change my family's dynamic. It was going to get my family out of Compton, out of the hood. It was going to give them a self-esteem that they never had because everyone was working jobs, not careers. Uh, no one designed their life exactly like they wanted it. And I had an opportunity to do that. And so uh, I became the head of households. I really took my family and put them on my back and said, let's try and work this. And now that I have my own family in terms of my wife and my two kids, is to teach them those values and to try and get them as ahead of the curve as possible based on circumstances and resources, and then let them do what I did and hopefully carry the baton and make it even better for the next generation. Why did you want to quit when you were 12? Uh, it was some childish reasons, man. Uh, I think in part I was just bored. You know, when you're 12 years old, at that time I had never lost a football game. I was in my fourth year playing football. We were undefeated every single year. We won the championship every single year. Uh, God, I started to rest on my laurels, just like, hey, I'd rather play video games. I'd rather ride my bike. I'd rather just hang out in front of the house. I want to do childish things, kid things, be a normal teenager uh, around 12, 13. And then uh, my father had that talk with me. Um, so, you know, I just wanted some more idle time because if you're really committed to sports, you got to really structure life. So I would have to get to school early and then I would stay at school. And then after I would have practice and my sister, she didn't play sports. She wasn't an athlete. She'd go home. She could eat what she wanted and watch TV all day and do her homework when she wanted, take a nap and just have a, a, a look what it looked like a, a nicer lifestyle, nicer afternoon than I did. I got tired of the robotics, but <laughs> I, I quickly came to my senses. You mentioned uh, your wife a second ago there. What, uh, what kind of woman does it take to be married to Marcellus Wiley? Oh man. Someone who is thick skinned, and someone who is forgiving. Um, she she holds no grudges, which is amazing as an attribute to have. She's quick to apologize, um, and she knows what she wants. Very smart. Uh, beautiful anesthesiologist who made it her own way, her own path, and then uh, through, our, through our dynamic has been able to really support me, uh, support our family, still work but in a part-time basis uh, just on call when necessary and really support the family with a, a spirit and I think a, a difference than I was used to growing up she's all into Christmas to the point where she might think that Santa Claus is real still like she's you know and, 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 and she's into all these like she's into the symbolism of every holiday and everything around the house and energy and things that I take for granted or things that are not high on my priority list. They are for her and it makes for a very loving household. So I thank her for that. Love that. Continuing with Marcellus Wiley on ballers with babies. Okay. You mentioned it a second ago. You grew up in Compton. Uh, your kids are definitely not growing up uh, in Compton. What does that mean to you? Uh, you know, 
deeply it means progress. Uh, you know, I'm from the hood, and I have that badge of honor, and I, I'm proud that I'm from Compton. I'm proud I'm from South Central Los Angeles. I'm proud that I went through that adversity and survived it and learned valuable lessons and a work ethic and a toughness that I couldn't have got from any other training ground or opportunity growing up. But I also respect that there wasn't a day that went by that I wish I didn't live in a different circumstance and didn't have to deal with the adversity of the drugs and the gangs and the violence and the low ambition. I never wanted to, to have to survive that. And I'm glad that my kids could check that box. But they're going to have their own set of challenges, and they may come in different ways and different complexion, but as challenging um, nonetheless. So I, I have to respect that they're going to find their own way to, to, to prove they're tough, find their own way to deal with adversity. Uh, but it's much better to do it in the, the suburbs with the big, nice park and the families there versus some of the surroundings I grew up with that were basically life and death. So I say all that's progress. Yeah, I mean, you know, listening to you talk about it there, um, you lay it out pretty well. I mean, everybody, when you hear that someone grew up in Compton, you automatically think tough upbringing, and your mind immediately goes to negative. But I wonder, you know, what what are your memories of childhood? Are they Are they tough or negative? Or maybe it's the opposite. I mean, I know you had great parents, right? Yes. Yeah, I was blessed to have both parents in the house where we know the statistics are showing that that's eroding by the second. So I had a strong nuclear family, and especially being in those surroundings, um, it's even more extreme, uh, unfortunately. And I had my parents there to keep me balanced and keep me on the right path. Uh, they're great memories, more positive than negative, obviously. Uh, the positives are you really do toughen up. You really do understand what's most important. And it's a life and death proposition at times that makes you realize how hard you have to work, how focused you need to be, how disciplined you must be, and how lucky you have to be at times, uh, whether it's shootings or some of the violence that I had to deal with or see or bullying and all those type of things that you escape narrowly and you start to appreciate life in a different way so there's not a day that i really complain about life or work there's not a day that something's presented to me that i feel like can defeat me i i feel like i've went through that training camp that training ground that i'm ready for whatever comes um so the positives are really between the ears and in my heart uh but the negatives let's be real man yeah. You know, there were days I couldn't wear certain colors. Uh, I couldn't do certain things. I couldn't go to certain places, couldn't go in certain neighborhoods. I lost a lot of family members to violence uh, unnecessarily and young. Uh, I had no explanations for why so many people were hurting each other. Uh, you know, the day-to-day, -day, you had people at their wit's end. You had people that you know, were one moment away from losing their mind or snapping or yelling or fighting or stabbing or shooting, like, just like that. And it was tough to deal with. It was tough to see. It was tough to be around. But one thing I know that I didn't know how poor I was growing up. 
and I grew up on food stamps. I grew up on welfare, but you don't feel it because it's a relative experience. I never went to Beverly Hills in my life until I was in the NFL. I never went past La Cienega and <laughs> Sunset in my life until I was a guy with money. So it was a different world, man. I, you know, I rarely went to the beach, maybe a couple times. And I lived on the same street that went straight to the beach. But <laughs> 20 minutes west was not happening in my life. And it's amazing how you're, you're bunkered in and it feels secure, even though now looking back at it with my perspective, I see how impoverished it really was. Oh, it's incredible. And, I, you know, you talk about growing up around um, gun violence. Uh, you know, I saw an interview with you recently where – uh, you you publicly spoke out against not only gun violence, but even gun ownership. And, and I'm wondering about that evolution. You know, did all of that kind of happen before you even had kids? Or maybe was your family on your mind when you came to some of those decisions? Yeah, man, I'm a former gun carrier, gun owner, permitted, licensed to carry. Um, I was that guy my rookie year, my second year in the NFL. Uh I move away from Los Angeles to Buffalo. And I remember being at a gas station with a friend who was telling me he just got carjacked in LA. And he was like, man, I had to go get a gun. And he's like, what you going to do? You're going to Buffalo. You're going to stand out. You're a, a Buffalo bill, a black player in Buffalo. I think people are going to know who you are. They're going to know where you live. He's like, you don't know anyone out there. What you going to do with all that money? And that bullseye on your back. So after a couple of weeks of tossing and turning with that idea, I owned a gun. And I did it for almost two years. And I would carry that gun to the practice facilities. I would carry it when I went out uh, on walks. I would carry it at the club, everywhere. And then one day, I was at a red light, 2, 3 in the morning, leaving a party, leaving a club. And this guy stops right in front of my car. And he looks in the car, looks at me through the front windshield. Then he starts to come around to the driver's side. Now, I got that gun right there in my lap. And now I start to pull it out. He continues to walk towards me. And he's about to knock on the window. Now I have the gun out and cocked. And the guy hits the window. And as I roll the window down, I'm ready to pull this trigger. And if this guy does anything crazy out of the ordinary, it's three in the morning, why are you looking at me like that? Why are you coming up to me right now at this red light? And the guy simply asked me for directions. Hmm. And I remember that moment and what I was willing to do. And if I didn't have this gun, what would I have been thinking and what would I have done? So that night, I got rid of the gun. I never had a gun since. And I, it, look, if I could wave a magic wand and get rid of every single gun in this world, I would do it. I don't care what the other side says. I don't care what opposition says. I had to live through the instrument of a gun taking lives unnecessarily uh, just because they had that opportunity to do it and if you could give them another mechanism to defuse situations other than just shooting each other who wouldn't raise their hand and support that so uh i went through my ups and downs in terms of the guns in my life 
and in my environment. But I'm a strong believer that I wish we could rid our streets of guns. Mm, amen to that. I tell you what. So uh, I was thinking about this too, right? So when you first uh, had your daughter, social media wasn't much uh, around yet. Um, and, and now it certainly is. And, and your celebrity has grown now into multiple spaces from sports to media to business. Um, how do you handle that with your kids? You know, social media and being the children of a celebrity. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm saying everything that uh, every parent says, every responsible parent says, which is everything you put out there is going to be of record forever. Um, they're archiving your life in the cloud, and it will never go away. So be careful in those moments. Um, but I think what's different with my family uh, is they, they don't, they're not attention-seeking. They're not – my wife doesn't want to be – at the forefront of attention. She doesn't want to be on a wag show or <laughs> loving hip hop. And like, she, you know, she doesn't want reality TV cameras. She's not that, even though I've dated a few people who do that, uh, I picked the right one who probably doesn't want that. Uh, my daughter's like that as well, like pretty understated. And as much as I'm in front of the camera and I play pro ball, so half my life, I've just been in front of cameras working whether it's on the field or in the booth. Um, I, I have my quiet moments as well, man. I have my introverted moments as well where uh, I still walk in the mall by myself and I'm like, I hope no one recognizes me. I hope I don't have to have this this conversation about the, the Lakers or yeah. I just hope I could get in and get out. You know, like I'm not the guy that has the big entourage and posse and all the, the jury on and wants to flash. And I had my moments. I've been through it, obviously. But now I just want to wake up, love the family, love my days, love my friends, go do my work, get home, and enjoy it again. So I think we're all bit by the bug of no extra attention if if necessary. No extra attention uh, is necessary for us. So, so far, that's been our formula, our solution. Uh, wrapping up with Stick to Sports with Marcellus Wiley. Um, I got to ask you this, uh, the Blake trade. <laughs> why, why, why'd you freak out so much? <laughs> oh, it, it, the, the suddenness of it, the, the, the fact that in five minutes, it felt like it felt like five seconds. <laughs> I went from hearing they may consider talks of trading Blake Griffin to Oh, Blake Griffin's a Detroit Piston. And I was like, what? Like you 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 look, you can't you can't give me a heart attack like that. And it was so sudden. It, it, it just came out of nowhere. I mean, the Woj bomb hit with not one mention before that that it could hit. And I just couldn't believe it, man. And look, we lost our star power a lot of it last year with Chris Paul. And I knew that our fortunes weren't to win a championship, but I was like, at least we got entertainment value and a scrappy little team. We got Blake Griffin, still the key part of Lob City. So I was all in on the entertainment value. Then they took Blake. I was like, what the hell are the Clippers doing? It's hurt. <laughs> oh, man, I couldn't believe it. And they tell me that live on air. How disrespectful, man. Let me have a moment. <laughs> Crazy, how, how did you be? Well, I got it. I don't know why I've never even had this conversation with you. How did you become a Clipper fan anyway? You're LA born and bred. You're, you're supposed yeah. to be a Laker guy, right? 
Yeah, but you know what? It's funny. My father is from Tyler, Texas, and he moved after high school to San Diego. So San Diego Clippers. He grew up a Clipper ah. fan. Ah, and then he. So I grew up in my household. We watched as many Clipper games as Lake as Laker games, if not more. So we used to always watch him. And I'm gonna be real. I used to clown. I used to bash him. I used to laugh. I'm like, Daddy, they got Magic Johnson out here and Kareem and Worthy and Scott. And we talking about Benoit Benjamin and Ola Candy. Like, they got the same player. So I never was a Clipper fan. But it was in my blood. It was in my environment. And then when they got Chris Paul, the day that that trade was nixed to the Lakers and he came and he read that press conference letter that was actually written for the Lakers, but he didn't even care. He was like, I'm going to read it still for the Clippers. And, and, so, and he was talking about how great the franchise was and how storied it was. I'm like, you know you lying. You wrote that for the Lakers. But when he said all that, brother, I was like, you know what? I could be a Clippers fan. I think some brighter days are ahead, and that's how I got hooked. Oh, man. By the way, speaking of San Diego, I'm glad you brought that up. So – uh, you've unabashedly shown excitement for the Chargers being in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and I get it for your sake. I certainly get it, right, uh, as a former Charger. But is there any emotion for the San Diego fans who lost their team? Man, I hate to sound heartless, but no. Um, look, I'm a former NFL player, and I have been calloused. Uh, I have been cut watching television Oh, Marcellus Wiley released. And that's just the name of the game. That's just the way love goes. That's the way the business rolls. So I'm sorry. I can't sit there and pander to the fans and say, oh, I feel so sorry for you. When I got to respect that this is Dean Spanos' franchise, his business, and it's a smarter proposition to be in L.A. than San Diego. Let's be real. His fortune, his team's value doubled immediately by moving two hours north on the five freeway doubled that day. Like, I mean, I get where it could sound like, Oh, such a likable, lovable Marcellus who cares about the people of San Diego. I do. But if you're asking me as a businessman and I played football as a business player, business person, that's what the game is about. As a professional, I can't sit there and say that it was a bad move. I think it was a smart move. I think it's going to pay tremendous dividends, more than it's already have when they get into their new stadium in 2020. It's going to be insane up here. So I love me some San Diego, and I hope they don't take it the wrong way, but get over it. It's what? a two-hour drive. Come up here. <laughs> well, now, you just said, okay, it's going to be insane when they move in to the new building because that would be my next question is, okay, everybody gets the franchise value thing. But is it going to work? That's interesting. You think it's going to work long-term. Like, how are they going to fill that place? Well, look, you talk about a team this year that were two kicks or two opportunities away from easily being in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, a 9-7 nine, a nine team through transition, through moving, relocation, uh, and bad, bad kicking performances and still almost made the playoffs and really came on strong. Um, I think that they, they they will survive and thrive because they're a good team, good good organization, 
They're going to put a good product out there. They got young stars all around on both sides of the ball. And most importantly, it's a huge city. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take a huge slice of the pie to fill that stadium. And if everyone knows what stadiums are turning into now, they're turning it into destinations, events. It's not just so much about the competition on the on the field. It's the event. It's the the luxury condos and the mall and the park and the arena and the the Wi-Fi. And it's such a spectacle now to go to a game. You're going for more than just seeing the two teams play. And what they're building in Inglewood is going to be second to none, including Jerry's world, man. It's going to be next level. I think that L.A. supports not only a winning team, a winning product, but a spectacle in an entertainment fashion, and I think that's what it's going to be. By the way, real quick, you mentioned Jerry's World, and, you know, you played for four franchises. Uh, How is being a Cowboy different than any other team? Oh, man, the cachet just rises to unbelievable levels. Like, it it could be at the gas station. A guy will – guy will see you coming and pay for your gas which doesn't sound like the craziest of acts but it is because it happens every single day in every single way you can't go anywhere in the world and say i'm a dallas cowboy without getting a a great response or ovation Uh, i could tell people all the time about my career people who are not so familiar and i tell them they say who you play for i say buffalo and they go oh i say san diego (laughs) I say, yeah, I say San Diego. They go, oh, I say Dallas. They say, what? You play for the Cowboys? Oh, my God. And they lose their mind. And I'm like, okay, this is different. You got that star on your helmet, man. And I was only there for one year, one horrible cup of coffee uh, that I put on me. And, but it still was an amazing experience. And um, it's nothing like it. Uh, of the four teams I played with, uh, their popularity exceeded the other three combined. Um, it is amazing to catch up with you. I appreciate your openness. Thank you so much for doing it. Oh, appreciate you, Mark, man. Continue success, brother, and let's do it. 